What's up, Hug fam? This is Justin, your 30-second host, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I've been so backed up with so many podcasts. So I'm going to go right into it. Today, you will be hearing from Eddie as we ask ourselves, are we afraid of being wrong? So here's our pastor chef, Eddie Park. What's up, everybody? My name is Eddie, and I'm the founding and teaching pastor of Hug, soon to be Supper Church. And the question of the day was, when was a time you were proven wrong? I love this question because this happens to me all the time. As much as I love getting things right, I also love when I get proven wrong because it keeps me humble and reinforces to keep an open mind and always stay curious. But I've been proven wrong about a lot of things this year, okay? As some of you know, probably the least likable trait about me is um, that I am a Los Angeles Clippers fan. And for years, actually almost decades, I've witnessed something called the Clipper curse. And the Clipper curse is no matter how good our team is, we would never make it to the Western Conference Finals. And I thought if I've ever, and and I never thought, I'd ever see the LA Clippers go to the Western Conference Finals. And for this year, I was proven wrong. Even Paul George proved me wrong that he can play well during the playoffs. I was proven wrong about the pandemic. I thought that I was being actually conservative when I would say that we might return back in January, earlier this year. Well, you know what? We're still virtual and it's July. We all get it wrong sometimes. We all make mistakes, but some of us are so afraid to get it wrong. Or maybe people are more afraid of admitting that they were wrong. You know, this past week, I was very upset by a comment made by ESPN analyst Stephen A. Smith. And for those of you who know or who don't know, Stephen A is the highest paid personality on ESPN. And he's known for being very bold, charismatic, but also very opinionated and aggressive and and stubborn. And the comment he made was about Shohei Otani, who is the number one player in baseball right now, who is also Japanese. He's a Japanese player. And he said this, he said that it's not good for baseball that the best player is someone who needs a translator during interviews to understand what he is saying. And he was referring to the fact that Shohei Otani can't speak English. But on the segment, it got worse because his other co-host brought up that there were other players who were Cuban and Dominican who have also been the best players in baseball, but also couldn't speak English that well. And it really showcased and highlighted that it was because Otani was Asian and that there was a double standard to that statement. And the internet broke just minutes after Stephen A made those statements. Twitter was demanding that he be canceled. And what does Stephen A do? Does he admit that he made a mistake? No. He comes on and records a video of himself on Twitter, double downing on his statement, defending his statement and saying that people are just misinterpreting what he's saying as a racist and that he can't be racist because he's African-American. 
Now, after that statement, his career was really in jeopardy. And eventually he later posted an apology and came on TV and made another formal apology. But here's the thing. Stephen A is a bold, very courageous black man. But you can also see that he's human and that he was initially afraid of admitting publicly that he made a mistake. So instead, his brain reacted to everything and told, told himself, you did nothing wrong, which made him defend himself because he thought that what mattered more was the fact that he was right instead of others being hurt. Well, we can give Stephen A some slack because isn't this what we do? When we get into a disagreement at work, maybe your boss asked you, hey, where is this report I asked for? And you realize you forgot or it slipped your mind. And instead of admitting the mistake, your brain tells you like, well, you weren't very clear that you needed it by today. Married couples, how many times do we gaslight our spouses and make them think that they're crazy or something is wrong with them when it was really our fault to begin with the whole time? But the troubling thing is that we have a spike in hospitalizations due to the Delta variant of the coronavirus right now. And almost all of the hospitalizations and infections are people who have not been fully vaccinated. And people still won't get vaccinated, even though it is clearly endangering the lives of others. It's hard to admit we are wrong. I get it. It's hard to admit we made a mistake, but I want to talk about something that has helped me make it easier for me not to be afraid of being wrong, not afraid of admitting my mistakes. So I want to talk about why do we not have to be afraid of being wrong? Well, today I want to talk about something Jesus did that in his time was considered wrong. I'm not talking about hanging with tax collectors and prostitutes. That was wrong to people, but it wasn't like breaking a hard law. I want to focus on something that Jesus did over and over and over again, even though he knew, he knew that it was considered wrong to people and he himself risked being wrong about it. And it's this thing that Jesus risked being wrong about over and over again that actually was the technical crime and cause of his arrest and execution. Do you guys know what that is? Well, if you said healing on the Sabbath, that is exactly right. I know it sounds so silly, but this is the crime that Jesus got arrested and killed for. So if you read from Mark chapter 3, it says this, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on me, uh, lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely 
restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Another time he does this. It's not just one isolated event. He does this again in Luke chapter 13 on the Sabbath. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Isn't this rebuttal from the Pharisees ridiculous? Hey, come and get healed on the six other days, not today. On the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, you take out the donkeys to get some water. You treat a donkey better than a woman who is crippled. That was Jesus' response. You know, there's a scene from the show Atlanta where uh, Darius, one of the characters, goes to a shooting range. And instead of a human target, you know, you see a human target at a shooting, shooting range, he pulls out a target that's shaped like a dog. And uh, he's shooting at it, and everyone at the shooting range stops him and rebukes him and says, what's wrong with you? And Darius is saying, but you guys are shooting at targets that look like humans. And some of them look really specific types of human people. <laughs> and they actually like pushed him and beat him and like made him leave the, the shooting range. And when I think about this passage, I think of that scene because there's, there's this irony. That's the irony. We as humans, we as humanity have been so desensitized at how we treat other humans. But when it comes to social axioms like you can't shoot a dog, shooting a dog is bad, we become dogmatic, no pun intended. Well, this last passage, Jesus says something that is very important and profound that helps us answer this question about choosing when to risk being wrong. And it comes from Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they looked to him and said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when, his when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to eat or to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read that in the law, that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you 
that something greater than the temple is here. If you mean, if you had known these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Later on, he says, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take care and take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, there are a few important things that Jesus says in this passage. One is that David did something wrong to do something right. He ate bread that he, that he wasn't supposed to eat so that he could feed his friends. The priests who are righteous desecrated the temple but get a free pass just because they're priests. And Jesus repeats God's words when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is a reference to God's rebuke to Israel. God says, I don't care about these empty rituals and offerings and gifts. I don't care that you check all the boxes and play by the rules if you are not just and merciful people, which God was saying, I don't care if you do all the right things, but your heart is evil inside. And then another point that Jesus makes is, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And in this statement, Jesus isn't referring to just like literally animals versus humans, but he is referring to sheep, referring to sheep as business profit wealth because if your sheep dies in a pit that's x amount of dollars and value down the drain literally and often humans will disregard the law if it affects their wallets and if it's not it but if it's a human life they will use it as an excuse to get out of helping that person you know one day i used to boycott every year was black friday now, if you shop on Black Friday, that's fine. That's totally fine. But I think year after year, but when I think about it, year after year, my heart would break because there's always someone who died or got severely injured because they got stampeded on at Walmart on Black Friday. And it's like we will endanger or even kill another human being to save like 50 bucks on a TV. And it's just always a day that reminds me of how sad the human race is. But just to illustrate the point, how much more valuable is a human life than a flat screen TV, than a discount, than a deal? And you might hear this and say, of course, that's obvious. But when we examine our lives, it gets very uncomfortable. But what I want to get at is that, is that why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath, when he knew the risk, he knew it was technically wrong, according to the letter of the law. Now, in the interpretation of law, there are two major camps. There is the letter of the law, and then there is the spirit of the law. The letter of the law being that you uphold and obey what is literally written, unredacted, unchanged, literal interpretation, whatever it says you do. And then there is the spirit of the law, 
which is interpreting the intent or the heart of why the law was written. For example, the age of consent is 18 for most states, and the intent or the spirit of that law is to prevent child molestation and pedophilia and protect the innocent. However, the letter of the law, which is seen as an 18-year-old freshman in college who is dating a 17-year-old in high school, could be charged with, statuto- with a statutory sentencing because of the letter of the law. Now, this is not a debate on the US, on US law and US constitution, whether the letter of the law or the spirit of the law is better or right or wrong, because those documents are not, in, are not meant to intrinsically be moral. But the Bible, however, is intrinsically a moral document whose highest intent is to do good and love other human beings, which means if the letter of the law is in violation or contradicting the spirit of the law. If keeping the Sabbath, even though it means letting someone die or not helping someone in pain, we need to rethink that moral decision. See, the Pharisees were so afraid of being wrong because then if they were wrong, then because if they were wrong, then they would not be self-righteous and have authority and power. But what Jesus was not afraid, Jesus was not afraid of being wrong. Why did Jesus risk being wrong about the Sabbath? Because he'd rather love people than be self-righteous. And for us, this is incredible because why are people so afraid of being wrong? because they'd rather be self-righteous. They'd rather look good than be wrong. But Jesus shows us a different way. Jesus rather risk being wrong than guarantee being self-righteous. And that's why for us, we don't have to be afraid of being wrong because we'd rather risk being wrong than guarantee being self-righteous. I'd rather risk being wrong about something than guarantee being a Pharisee. Self-righteousness is the most addicting drug. It's more addicting than cocaine or methamphetamine. It makes you more delusional than any narcotic or chemical substance. It does not discriminate against race, wealth, or economic class, as long as you're human, self-righteousness will get you. But the scariest part about self-righteousness is that you will erode every close relationship in your life. You will ruin friendship after friendship. You will ruin your marriage. You will lose the ability to feel compassion and empathy for other human beings. And the only way you look compassionate is so that you can maintain your self-righteousness. And there are many, there are many things the church is on the verge of being very self-righteous about. You know, before the pandemic hit, many churches said that churches must be in person live on a Sunday to be a biblical church. And then when the pandemic hit, they had to come up with a way to be virtual and and have a recorded option. You know, 
The church has only progressed and loved people better when it risked being wrong. Churches took a risk when they brought drums and electric guitar into the church because at that time, churches believed that rock music was from the devil. It was wrong. Churches took a risk when it, focused, when it started to focus on developing women leaders to be shepherds and teachers and even pastors when that was seen as wrong. And even today, it's still seen as a, it's still seen as a huge risk. And the church has a long way to go when it comes to the way that we have handled human sexuality, the LGBTQ community, social justice, racism, affiliation to a certain political party, and now the church's involvement and cause of major public health issues and policies. And I hope to see our church, instead of focusing on what, on not being wrong, double downing when, when you think the church has made a mistake and becoming self-righteous in our tone, I hope to see us being a community who isn't afraid of being wrong, who isn't afraid of taking risks and apologizing when we make mistakes. As you all might know, our church is making a strategic change this fall. In the month of July and August, these will be the last months we as a community will be known as Hug Church. And after August, we will move forward as Supper Church and be focusing on inviting people to dinner versus inviting people into a big formal church experience. And this also means that we will be reimagining what the large in-person Sunday gathering looks like. Does it have to be in a hall on, on Sundays every week or can it still be virtual but supplement with meeting maybe at a park or doing large group gatherings monthly? And these are all conversations that we are having uh, to ex possibly experiment this year. And part of me says, no, Eddie, don't take this risk. Go back to what you know works. Meet at field work every Sunday. You don't need online digital or digital way to connect anymore. Keep doing your 30, 40 minute lecture cert type sermons. Well, part of me really feels called to take some risks and experiment how to do church this year. So again, I wanna invite you all to dinner. Come to the park, park picnics, come to our leaders' homes for supper, share how you feel. Let us run some ideas by you and give us feedback. I can't tell you exactly what this year will look like, but what I can tell you is that I'm not afraid of taking risks. I'd rather be a church that takes risks so that we can possibly love people better than be a church that would rather be self-righteous and not change and not help people get closer to God in this current season. So please come out on 8-8, August 8th, to our soft reopening and regathering. We will hug each other, eat together, worship together, and really celebrate these past few years as we have been Hug Church. And get to hear more about what our church will look like as we continue to love our community as Supper Church. I hope, to, I hope you all come, and I hope to see you all there, and I'm excited for what's ahead.
Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this message. And God, it's so, it, it, we, we get so afraid of being wrong. We get, we, get so, we get so afraid of admitting when we've made mistakes. But I pray that this, this message today liberates us, God, from, from the fear of making mistakes and possibly being wrong. God, I know that in our relationships, that when we are exposed in a mistake or being wrong, God, we want to we wanna defend ourselves. We want to cover ourselves. We want to not look bad. We want to make the other person think that they're crazy and that they're wrong and that we're right. But God, we, we forget that we are called to be human beings who care about others and love others first and foremost. And so God, I pray that as we ourselves in our personal lives not be afraid when we make mistakes and when we get it wrong, but that even as a church, that as long as we are trying to think of ways to love people better, as long as we're trying to think of ways of bringing people closer to you, as long as we're trying to think of ways of becoming a healthier body of Christ in church, that we not be afraid of taking risks, that we not be afraid of being wrong, as long as we are aiming to love your people. So God, I thank you for this freedom, and I thank you for this community who is supportive and understanding, and, and willing to be bold and courageous and take these risks with us. So God, we thank you. Thank you for this Sunday and bless us this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.